Welcome to Take Note. This is our 192nd-est episode of the podcast in which I chit-chat with my dear friend Adam. Hello, Adam. Hey, Ted. Ted, if you were going to use one word to describe me, what would that word be? Hmm. That's right, cosmopolitan. Hmm. <laughs> yes. I, I'm a cosmopolitan man. <laughs> I don't... Ted, I don't watch the American version of the UK reality show Traders. I watch the original. Is that Traders or Traitors? Traitors. But I don't just watch the original. In addition to watching the original and not watching the American version, I also watch the Australian version. Do you know why? Because you're cosmopolitan. Because I'm cosmopolitan. Yeah. Nothing there's nothing more cosmopolitan than than colonial outpost popular culture. That's right. I recommend the trade and, you, and you're you're so subtle about it too. That that's also what makes you so cosmopolitan. I didn't say I didn't say I was subtle. You, I didn't say I was modest. You, you hold back until just the right moment to divulge something about yourself. That's right. That's right. Well, the holidays well, are, you said I was are behind us. So. I did. That's true. It's on me. Holidays are behind us. Uh, I I I think we waited we waited through them we struggled through them like like vines were wrapped about our legs and we had to keep going we didn't have any choice and now we we're here. Well, how are you, how are your holidays? They were good, and you know I don't mean to disagree with everything you say, but this happened to me on December twenty sixth as I uh, drove into New Orleans. the uh, The DJ said, "Well, the holiday season is over." And the holiday season is just beginning because Mardi Gras is around the corner. Oh, my God. King cakes, even in Houston, king cakes available in two days. Yeah. Yeah. Called call to reserve your... I'm like, what do you... What am I getting... You just going to eat a king cake every week for the next three months? Is that how that goes down? Well, I mean, I just... My wife is from New Orleans, and so I'm not going to... I'm not going to walk into your trap. <laughs> <laughs> It's all positive New Orleans PR. That's right. I'm good with that. That's right. I'm good with that. Well, you you give me a window into Mardi Gras that I've never had before, so I I have appreciated the cultural experience all the way around. One day we'll get uh we'll get out there while you guys are there. We'll figure that out. That sounds delightful. We should do it. Uh, I was at uh, speaking of getting out. I was at the Museum of Natural Sciences as a uh, survival technique, as my wife was uh, laid up ill, and the kids and I were trying to remain sane mm-hmm. and uh we were in the, the the fossil section the big dinosaurs the real the kind of the home run and uh there is as you get as you wind your way to the end of uh the the dinosaurs you do come to the cave people the neanderthal section where it's lots of you know uh sculptures of early humanoids and whatnot hadn't gotten there yet though we were still around the stegosauri and uh little kid says to his mom all right i'm gonna go hang out with our ancestors for a little while <laughs> that was pretty, that was pretty good <laughs> that's funny yeah it was good i um i was in i was in dallas just before christmas and can i let me just ask you is it is it just the Ubers in Dallas, or is it the Ubers in all of Texas? That are so cosmopolitan? Well, 
I'm not sure. I guess let me let me describe the uh, the Ubers in order. The uh, the first Uber driver told me that he got started in cryptocurrency on day one. Never needs to work, but Uber pays his golf habit. The next Uber driver was listening to slash watching. Let's become successful YouTube videos while driving, which while driving. had a lot of really questionable advice. And so I was sitting there thinking about like, how do you, what do you say about this questionable advice? First piece of advice to save time, watch these videos while you drive. Right. Yep. Um, then the Uber driver after that, um, he told me that women, women have it so much easier these days because yeah. they can just put their kids in front of television to raise them. They don't have to take care of them. And then you'd think that that would be the worst of it. <laughs> but the, the final Uber driver, uh, he spent a ride telling me the entire history of Greece since 1939. And then at the end, when it was time to get out of the car, he spent a long time trying to sell me his Van Gogh recovered from the Nazis worth $70 million dollars but if I know people in art, he would uh, he would probably take only fifteen or twenty million from it. The problem is he didn't want to go through the hassle of determining or proving because he knows, but proving that the Nazis hadn't stolen it from the Jews. Well, that's why you get the discount, right? Well, yeah, because he just can't, he can't sell the thing. It's like when you got an autograph and it's not certified, you know. Yeah, two hundred instead of five hundred. It's like that with uh, stolen, stolen art. Yeah, uh, you got to hook that last Uber driver up with that first Uber driver. That's exactly right. <laughs> I wonder if I could do that through the receipts. That'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> through the receipt. Yes, uh, I'd like uh, all of my receipts for my recent. Um, Houstonians and Dallas folks from Dallas do not historically share a lot of goodwill. Yeah. So th this is this is some <clears throat> good fodder for the. It's a light rivalry. It's not Yankees Red Sox, but well, uh, I mean, we're in the same division baseball wise, and and just had a pretty rowdy series. So it's things are things are heightened in the rivalry at the moment. So. Uh, I'm just going to enjoy their, their the weirdness, the Dallas strangeness. All of the bartenders in Dallas uh, were really excited to give me recommendations for places to go in Houston. I can't remember how it started, but I know that I was texting you every time they gave That's me right. a recommendation in Houston. Um, and I, I think I got to say, oh, I know, but I know, I know the guy who started that place. Yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed. I felt very cosmopolitan after that, <laughs> that text exchange. That was a very good night. I just I followed the instructions of all the bartenders. So I started at one restaurant at dinner at the bar because I was uh, alone. Um, actually, something something interesting happened at that bar, but I'll, I'll I guess I'll get on. To, I'll mention that in a second. Um, and then you know I went to the next bar that that bartender told me to go to. And then at that bar, I said, hey, the first bartender told me that the third bar I should go to, I should not have a drink and just order dessert from the bar. And that, the second bartender said, yeah, do what the first bartender said. And then so I did that. I just got dessert at the third bar. And then the third bartender sent me to another bar down the street. Uh, and I thought it was going great. 
I mean, I know it was going great. I did <sighs> I did notice that uh, the blog post that I created uh, wh- while that was going on that I didn't remember creating. Um, <laughs> with uh, You can find it on our blog. The blog post called From Eliza El- Gabbard's Personal Data. Um, after I posted the quote from the book, I also posted a picture of the olives that were in front of me while I was blocking, <laughs> which seemed clever at the time. It seems only confusing in hindsight. You mean by bar number four, you weren't creating uh, airtight, uh, perfectly <laughs> strategic content? Pretty sure yeah, this I'm was looking, bar number I'm, one, buddy. <laughs> I'm looking at this. Uh, uh, this this photo is gross. It's, it's, uh, the it's olives? Big, it, yeah. yeah, our design, our web design, will, it'll blow a photo up. It'll make it real big, and, and these olives are really jumping out at me. Mm-hmm. But it uh, the the act of being at a bar by oneself, probably drinking delicious cocktails and eating nice olives, uh, seems wonderful. Yeah. So you've you've brought that into the readers' lives. Go check it out on Take Note Dud Space under the blog posts. You might uh, you, there's some other stuff there mostly pictures of olives while i was sitting at that bar making that blog post i noticed a woman and she was the first of two women that night who were sitting at the bar zooming from a laptop um and the the that first woman zooming from the bar i looked over and uh she had a whole pot of tea that she was drinking she was drinking a pot of tea um pot of tea yeah she had a pot of tea she's pouring it into a cup um, so while there's like a whole bar situation going on around her, she's got a pot of tea, she triggered a pot of tea. I thought that was, that was cool. I didn't think I could pull that off. Um, it's a power move. Yeah, it is a power move. And then I realized later on, I spent the entire month of December doing a, a tea advent calendar. And the only day I missed was that night that I was in Dallas and, uh, <laughs> the night that I watched her drinking a pot of tea. <laughs> So you got a vicarious Advent night in there. That's right. I think it counts. Yeah, I think it counts. Speaking of that, speaking of that blog post on Eliza Gabbert, um, I bought that book at a great bookstore called Deep Vellum in the Deep mm. Ellum neighborhood. Uh, deep Vellum in Deep. That's good. yes. It was really good, and that whole Deep Ellum neighborhood was fantastic i was in the holiday spirit this was before my night out um and i was uh (laughs) buying lots of little things at a number of independent stores actually hmm have you received a package yet yes i'm just looking at this reliance debonair erasing pencil so yep so that it came the, from that came from that's my wife found that for you at a awesome. uh, um, at a at a vintage not a vintage store at a you know goodwill but the there's a i think there's a notebook in there too found these great notebooks yep um but it, and then i also there's a menswear place and i got pocket squares for myself um these Fabulous. great pocket squares um and just talked to the guy walked into this place it's called uh, d for dapper great name uh walked in the place the bookstore recommended d for dapper so what happened is because i was there on business i was wearing a sport coat and i was walking around the hipster neighborhood so i kind of stood out but once i bought a bunch of books because i can't help myself the lady at the bookstore sent me to d for dapper bought a few pocket squares um and uh but talked to the guy forever really nice guy 
he actually told me that he knew all the bartenders at the sushi restaurant that later that <laughs> night I would not be able to get into because it had been bought out. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I bought that Aliza Gabbard book. It's called The Word Pretty. And uh, the picture that I posted, the first essay is about notebooks. And it is one of a series of books that I have been reading really by accident in a way. I mean, other than it's my general interest that are about notebooks. I didn't know that that essay was going to be about notebooks. I love Eliza Gabbard's uh, poetry. and I think we've spoke, spoken about it before. And the way she builds her poetry is the same way that um, Annie Erno, the Nobel Prize winner from France, writes some of her books. And I just read her book, exteriors um and that is so Eliza gabbert will go and she will like find connected thoughts either on her twitter or through her notebook and turn that into poetry and annie erno's book exteriors is like 15 years worth of notebooks but it's only the things that she wrote about in theory exteriors the theme of hers kind of like it falls apart a little um but I like the idea that that is how they both create books is by looking at years of notebooks and maybe Eliza Gabbard a little bit less, but I know she does some of that. She definitely goes through and looks at her old notebooks and writes about them and gets ideas for poetry from them. And I think the reason I'm thinking a lot about it is because we just went through the process of typing up our notes from the last year for the zine right. that we mailed out in December. Yeah. That's right. A delightful process to go through one's notebooks with a purpose. That I think that's and and this maybe gets at what those great writers are talking about. To go through one's old notebooks with a sort of purpose, to find something, to search for something that spins off into something new. I, that's what I love about our uh end of the year uh zine that I'm looking at right here in this lovely bright orange title of which is Oh Dandelion, there you are. Amazing title. Um, but to, but to do it with a purpose and finding stuff that jumps out at you from the past and it is, it's really, it's really a fun process. And Almost, I, you know, I think about, uh, I've tried to get back into writing down my dreams. I was, I was resistant because it felt overwhelming. I'm trying it again because I was reading an old notebook from the year and it was something, said something like, you know, dream. And then it described a dream that I had written down. <laughs> I did not recognize it in the slightest. It. Reading it brought no sense of familiarity to me. It didn't remind me of the dream. It just felt like a missive from an alternate universe, which I found to be quite fascinating. So that got me back into um, trying to write down my dreams. But you, I mean, you write in a notebook, you're writing to some future version of yourself. You don't know when. You don't know what your future self will remember or how they will read what you're writing down. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I love that about it, and I love returning to it. I think in the case of uh, somewhat Gabbert and definitely, you know, some of Annie Erno's books that I've read, which I will say, um, my wife's read Annie Erno's books, and she does not like the ones where she she likes Annie Ernaux's books, but she does not like these ones where it's just like 
everything Annie Ernau wrote about a supermarket over 20 years. <laughs> and I think that was the follow-up to the one that I've just read, which is everything she wrote about exteriors, which many of them were not exteriors. So actually what I really like, I just want to like, I like to put out, I like to be very aware of when I'm really into something that I know that not everyone's going to be into. But what I Fair. happen to like about these two books I'm talking about now, or the Gabbard's poetry in this Erna book is like the organization of similar ideas from a notebook over the course of 15 years or something like that. And I think part of the reason that I get excited about that idea is because like it, um, it gives me hope that there is not that there's nothing to this, but that there's even more that can be done with this, uh, this long project of ours, you know, of writing things down yeah. and paying more attention, not like it needs, uh, something to rescue it or to validate it, honestly. But the idea that something that eventually over time uh, you could organize it into something more artful is kind of exciting to me. I like seeing other people do it. I enjoy that for its own sake. And I enjoy the idea that maybe um, something we all might do. Uh, and I, you know, it, on this podcast, all roads lead back to Jeff Tweedy. And there's, I think there's from his songwriting book that, he really embraces the, you know, kind of not uh, like if you're writing a song, for example, not trying to overprescribe what you're going to do, but, you know, present yourself with lots of images and different word combinations and, you know, things that you aren't necessarily trying to say, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to say here, which I think using notebooks as a jumping off point, you know, you could easily say to yourself, all right, I'm going to write a song, but I'm going to do it with only lines that I pull from my own notebooks from the last 10 years. And, you know, I, I think odds are pretty good. You'd come up with a pretty cool song out of that. So I, yeah, I, I think it, anything can always spin off into a new project. To me, oh, I like talking about it because I want to always be thinking if I could spin something off into a new little, not even anything as resolute as our zine or, you know, a novel or whatever, but just, even when I scratch off a few lines of something, it feels good to me, even if it doesn't have an end product. And that, you know, I think this, this quotation that you put on the blog, uh, I'll read it real quick because it's great. Notebooks achieve so much of what poetry tries to achieve, but organically. They begin and end arbitrarily in medias race, ready-made erasures with an offhand effortlessness, abstractions interspersed with specifics fragmentary profundity no forced closures the epiphanies fall where they may that's a great that's just a great description of uh, some kind of creative something that essay just knocked me out of my socks knocked my socks off um and right uh, there in the bar right there in the bar and i didn't know that's what it was but i knew that i liked her and the cover of this book is a it looks they've made the book look like a small old pulp not pulp a small old like penguin uh a book oh, yeah, for like with one of the classic penguin covers it's not by penguin um I'm, i don't have it in front of me right now i'm blanking i don't know who it's by but it's called the the word pretty by elisa gabbert the the late the waitresses at the bar were really excited that i was reading a book called the word pretty the bartender didn't care um <laughs> yeah um I did, uh, you know, speaking of Tweedy, I, I listened to his new book, World Within a Song, the name of that, Music That Changed My Life and Life That Changed My Music. That was fun to listen to because he read it and his, he's got a nice voice and it was fun to listen to him read his own book, which was, 
you know, first person charming and funny and uh, basically just goes through a gajillion songs, even more songs than I would have thought possible in one piece of work, almost to the point where I can't even pull out individual ones. But really good takes, I think, on some classics, you know. I my I enjoyed when he said, uh, I'm only going to talk about one Bob Dylan song. This is not a quote. It's just from memory. I'm only going to talk about one Bob Dylan song, but I pretty much could have written this whole book about 45 Bob Dylan songs. <laughs> and then his, his other take was, I love the Beatles, and anybody who doesn't love the or says they don't love the Beatles really does love the Beatles. They just don't want to admit that they love the Beatles. You know, <laughs> fun stuff like that. A good mix of personal anecdotes and stories from his life mixed with you know hot takes on on classic songs and you know legendary performers and stuff uh recommend that realized spotify if you subscribe to the premium service now you can get you can listen to what 15 hours of uh of audiobooks now as part of that i won't say free because it's obviously not free but so i listen to uh i'll listen to that Placing nice. that new feature. But it was a good addition, very good addition to the Jeff Tweedy Library of Creativity and liking what you like, as Tom Sharpling says, and and uh, all of that good stuff, which I do think folds into this conversation. Since you mentioned I, Bob Dylan, I can't help. I was actually trying to bite my tongue before, but I can't help but mention that I got to spend... Um, some time with Bob Dylan last night in uh, in my dreams. I dreamt at length mm-hmm. about hanging out with him in some sort of uh, like uh, like he was Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory or something. Oh um, man, that's perfect. It was great, and it was um, but it was one of those dreams where like I realized I'm just having a dream where I'm hanging out with Bob Dylan, and I'm just gonna keep it going. And um, <laughs> I don't know if it was exactly lucid dreaming. Just being aware of it, I don't know how much control I had, but, um, but you know, for any negativity or any uh, seeming like uh, like navel gazing of writing down your own dreams, like all, any of the downsides of writing your own dreams, any of the reasons not to, are completely outweighed by having a dream where you get to hang out with Bob Dylan at length. <laughs> um, it was like I woke up just delighted. Yeah, that's fabulous. I I think I I have noticed that uh, they're not night they're they're never nightmares really, like there's a, I think as you become a little more in tune with them you, I've come to realize that uh, I'm having a lot of dreams that are fine, yeah. you know they're not they're not magical they're not Bob Dylan but they're not terrible they're just like oh, that was fine yeah. Yeah, I didn't quite know when that street turned into a mountain trail. I didn't know if I should go up it or not, but nothing, nothing really bad happened as a result. Right. Uh, which is kind of a nice, that's kind of a nice realization as part of the process. Um, so we're going to read another book together. Yes. Let's, this should we do a real long one or a short one? <laughs> well, let's see. What's Robert Caro uh, put out recently? I'm going to do that Robert Caro book. I'm going to do the Power Broker uh, this sure year, but um, but we're not going to do that on this podcast. There's another podcast not on my watch. That. Not on my watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last year we read the rest is noise, which uh, was like uh, was like wrestling a 
a hippopotamus covered in olive oil. It was a uh, long book of old history about a subject that we did not know much about. So you can't blame anyone except us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nor do I. Yeah. I think that one was my idea because I had found it at a at a thrift store and it had a nice cover and is a New Yorker writer. And he's a fine writer. And it was not an overall negative experience, but it uh it mm, It was a slow a experience for us. Yeah. Yes. For us. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a, uh, yeah. Uh, so th- this book's a little snappier. You want to, it was your idea, so why don't yeah. you Yeah, uh, so I was that? just looking at my bookshelf, and um, I've I've got, and I've had all of W.G. Sebald's novels for uh, 20, 23 years, since they, since they were published. And uh, I've read... Since the wall came down. Yeah. I've, I've read th- three of them, like, immediately. I read three of them, you know, between, like, 2019 and 2020 i think but one i've had his first novel uh vertigo and i've just never read it um not you know just happened to have never read it and so i i i remembered and i may have misremembered i thought that you were a little more of a sabald fan um and i suggested that maybe we read that because it is shorter although he can be like a rambling writer which i don't mind Mm -hmm. but um Mm -hmm. You know, he it could be a little bit of a challenge, but it's like 200, 250 pages, so it's much more reasonable. And so I asked if, you know, if you wanted well, to read that, we talk about it on the show. And you, you t- when you told me there were pictures in it, that's when I was yeah. sold. Yeah, actually, his novels, all of his novels, The Emigrants and uh, The Rings of Saturn and Austerlitz and Vertigo, they all have pictures in them that lead to, if you've never read them before, that lead to a real blurring of the lines between is this fiction or is this non-fiction um, well and i noticed so i picked up my copy at the library and i noticed right off the bat it doesn't say something like a novel um it doesn't uh admit to you very forthrightly what it is which strikes me as very zabaldian yeah yes uh i've i read uh rings of saturn in in 2003 i'm sure it was on your recommendation i really enjoyed it and and i i started reading vertigo this evening while my son hit baseballs at the batting cage oh, that's and, fantastic yeah like you're living in texas over there and it was uh it felt like it, it felt like i it picked up right where rings of saturn left off or vice versa i don't know which was written where but uh uh memory trauma war history all of that stuff jammed in there so i mean i think we bring it up because if you are looking for a book to read and you you want to you know follow along with our conversation i think our precedent is that we'll dedicate some time to chatting about it as i'd say as we go through it and maybe and at the end certainly yeah i i i recommend him strongly and i think people will enjoy it even if you know, I haven't read this book. You know, it, it may be a slight challenge. I don't know. I mean, um, just a little a little more background. You know, in right around 2000, um, his three books, his first three books were translated into English, published by New Directions. And then his, the, you know, One Fall, Austerlitz is published by a major publisher. It's a big deal. It gets like, you know, there's a lot of attention to it. And then uh, one day in December, um, it, you know, the end of, very end of the year, 
there's like one of the first news bulletins I remember seeing online somehow. Um, or, you know, maybe I just went to the New York Times website back in like the early days and he, he died suddenly in a car crash. Um, wow. and so he was like, his, um, you know, his career and it, it was cut off like in, at the, the, you know, at this maybe not peak, but like, you know, at this high point when everyone was so excited and kind of expected that there were going to be all of these books to come, right? Like his first his first book published by a major American pub or by a major publisher in America, you know, and all this attention and then suddenly cut off. Um, anyways, that's just a, like yeah. a little history. And that was kind of like my experience with him. I had this professor who we've talked about on the show before who really pushed him on me and a bunch of other people. And, um, and then this happened and it was shocking. Yeah. Well, he's German, so it is in translation, which that's oh, all, that's all I remember. I You're going to really read it know. in the original, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, the other way I know him was more recently when uh, uh, somebody collected uh, his maxims of W.G. Zabel. I guess he actually taught workshops uh, as a writer, and they were pretty delightful. I'm just going to pick a few at random here. Uh, write about obscure things, but don't write obscurely. Uh, it's hard to write something original about Napoleon, but one of his minor aids is another matter, which is interesting because the first chapter of Vertigo is in fact about, not about one of Napoleon's minor aids, but about one of Napoleon's obscure soldiers. So uh, you can't say that he didn't take his own advice along the way. But uh, I, I find the book to be to be obscure, but uh, not obscurely written. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and that's going to be our kind of new project in the new year. So grab yourself a copy from your local library and, uh, and join along. And uh, let's do this again soon. What do you say, Adam? Talk to you soon, buddy. You can find us on the internet at takenote.space. Uh, you can support the show by... Uh, click in the link over to our patreon page to everybody who supports us especially as we start a new year got some new supporters really exciting super cool thank you so much keeps us chugging right along helped us produce the zine um kind of just do all the, the little things that keep this uh keep this thing going um you can sign up for our Substack where we really sit down and try to create a newsletter with some level of frequency that digs into these topics further and provide some links which just get kind of builds on those things that we're interested in so thank you for listening and happy new year and take care